Oh, welcome to the Honest Hippie Podcast. We're the podcast for health professionals and the wider community. Look at explore diversity in health, ask some hard questions, and have some honest conversations. My name is Archie. I'm an EP based on Sydney's Northern Beaches, and joining me is always valid health business owner Andrew. Andrew is not with me right now. He is with Mick Risk, um, part of I Move You, I Move Physiotherapy, Physio Network Podcast, and also Clinic Mastery. I'm about to ask him and Andrew some very interesting questions about health care business ownership and what's it like uh, being in their position. You know, a lot of us only get to see what it's like from position of an employee or a contractor. So it's really good to hear their perspective on a lot of things. Um, yeah. So here we go. We're going to jump in. See you later. I've, I've got, um, I'm in a very rare situation here where I've got two successful business owners in the healthcare industry uh, on one Zoom call. So I want to take advantage of this. Mm. Um, and, and ask you guys some questions from a point of view of an employee. Um, I, I feel like in the healthcare industry, uh, from an employee's point of view, uh, sometimes uh, there are these, these feelings that business owners, healthcare directors and owners uh, are, are kind of just pushing KPIs. You know, you get this idea, it's like, oh, they, they just want me to rebook and they, they keep upping the prices uh, and they're making my job really difficult. Um, and I imagine that's frustrating for you guys because, you know, a lot of the time people aren't coming to you with these direct concerns. You're just hearing grumblings about it and you go, well, there's there's reasons behind this. Um, mm. I wanted to give you business owners uh, a platform to talk about what it's actually like from your side when people are talking about clinical excellence indicators uh, and and why they exist and why prices do go up and, you know, from our point of view, it's like, ah, oh, fuck, now I need to explain to my clients why they need to pay $5 more this year, mm. um, which sucks for me, you know? Um, yeah. But there's a reason behind it. There are reasons behind it. I'd like to hear your views on this. Uh, I'm still learning, but, you know, because I when I joined the Clinic Mastery team, that was the first time I was exposed to KPIs and like performance indicators or whatever you might call it, clinical excellence indicators. You know, that's that's one name for it. Um, I think it's in the delivery, really. I, I think that's what I've learned is I'll generally ask my therapist now, are you really, you know, are you interested in your numbers? And some are, like some genuinely are, like what, yeah, tell me the numbers. Um, the ones who aren't, I'll still deliver them quarterly. Um, and I think it's good to know in a similar clinic for the same type of clients, there's physio A and physio B, and there's a large discrepancy. That that would just have me curious as a clinician. I'd be like, why, why uh, do I have a 20% cancellation rate and Andrew's patients only have a 5% cancellation rate? Um, but they are business driven. And as business owners, we need a scoreboard because we need to keep the business open and we need to know when business is going well, we're usually hitting these certain things on the scoreboard. That's beneficial for us all to know. Whether you tell that to the team or not, maybe it's up for debate still. I was pretty, when I first learned them, I was pretty hard on them. I'm like, okay. Um, also, we have like one of the worst PVAs in Australia. <laughs> and I'm accused of being an over-servicer and only talking about rebooking. So I obviously don't do it very well. But 
the physio clinics that I see are very profitable. Like their PVAs will be over like 12 or 14. I would say the middle is like eight to 12. And then, you know, the ones, the ones that struggle for profit and, and maybe they would say a more evidence-based would be like between three and six. But generally you can't run a business at three and six. You Or you would need an endless amount of new clients to keep the doors open or you would have to stay really small or you'd have to underpay your team. And, not, and none of those are nice things. And now we're starting to talk about system challenges. Like, is there actually a lot of money to be made in owning a health clinic? Like, not really. Generally, Andrew and I would see that the, the average net profit of a health clinic is 10 to 15%, which means you'd have to be a million dollar clinic to make $100,000 net profit. And I would argue that for all the risk and the challenge of starting a business, you'd want to make more than $100,000 given most therapists can make $100,000 when they're really good. So there's not a lot of meat on the bone. And I think that's where business owners get a bit frustrated because it's we're not rolling in it. Like I don't coach many clinic owners who are in that kind of position. And so what I think that means is not many of us are coming from the position of like, we need to over-service. We need to do more manual therapy so we can make more money or so I can buy my jet or my helicopter. Um, but, and then there's the delivery part. I think what I've learned is to make the, the KPIs more relevant. It's like, if the PVA is three to five, is there something in the communication of like, did we actually help that person prevent their falls or be able to run with the grandkids? And what would be required for that to happen? And, and for those exercises to make the change, how long would we need to see them? If you've got a cancellation rate of 20%, I would want to know, like, why why are my patients cancelling one in five? Yeah. Um, is that is that how I'm ending the consult? So I've tried to make them a little bit more relevant. And then I'll go into communication strategies, verbal and nonverbal, some Vin Jang stuff, like online communication skills. Um, yeah, there's a lot there. What do you what do you think, Andrew? Yeah. There is there is, there is a lot. There is a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember, I remember when we first started Clinic Mastery and we learned about KPIs or, or mm. um, clinical performance, clinical excellence indicators for the first time. You know, we, we didn't have position descriptions at all for anybody. Yeah. Um, and then I learned about these things and I'm like, oh shit, I should do these things. And yeah. so we then, we created these position descriptions with like endless KPIs in them, mm. you know, yeah. your rebooking and your cancellation rates and your this and your that. Um, and now we've pretty much stripped all of that out. Gone back, yeah, yeah. It's I think there's there's one there's one expectation that we have within our PDs, which is around utilization. And the utilization is first off, it's a reflection of for us, like the balance between like financial sustainability of the business and like sustainability of the team member to be able to successfully fulfill a caseload. Mm. Like so that they don't feel overwhelmed or stressed, but they they also feel like challenged enough that they're they're doing enough work. Um and I think that nuance gets lost because like you said before, you know, the perception can be that business owners are just kind of rolling around in a swimming pool full of money, and that's just not the case. Um, 
I I think also, you know, we we try and set KPIs now for our team that are fair, that mean that, you know, I, I've heard you say this before, that um, a lot of our team, when they start, they're not starting with a full caseload. Mm. That they start with maybe a couple and then they have to build that, you know, themselves by getting out there in the community and, and with the support yeah. of business to get to that utilisation, you know, number, which sometimes can take three months, sometimes it can take 12 months, sometimes mm. it can take 18 months. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, so sometimes we, we tend to fixate on, you know, what is going on for me right now, but not realise that there is kind of this greater context to what's going on in the business. And um, at those times, I would encourage a, a conversation about, like, what is going on and, and what needs to happen. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like like you said, the reality is that, you know, uh, if, if you were to, to start a business for the sole purpose of making money, like, you probably wouldn't start a healthcare business because it's there's not a huge amount of profit or a huge amount of uh, yeah. direct shareholding in it yeah it's a it's an impossible equation to have balanced and it's never perfectly balanced like the team members feeling undervalued and underpaid every business owner i've met wants to pay their team more I don't know anyone in Clinic Master who hasn't said to me, I would love all my team members to be earning over 100K and be valued for what they do. But then you have a system a system problem with like, how much can we charge? Like the solution to that is cool. Let's charge $300 every consult and business will be fine. Everyone will get paid and it's fine. But then there's the patients aren't going to pay that or there's a, there's a market force there or therapists feel uncomfortable charging that much. Um, it's an impossible equation to solve, to keep the business healthy, to not have your therapist seeing 60 or 70 clients a week and to have your therapist feeling valued and well-paid. It's never perfect. So you're always going to be bouncing between those three realms. Um, we built our model where we felt like our therapist could earn good money by seeing 45 to 55 clients rather than what's more traditional in physios, probably seeing 60 or more very consistently. Um, we, we thought, what if you could see 45 to 50 clients, work a four-day work week and earn, say, between 90 and 110K? We, we just thought that that would be a really nice mix of things. But to do that, we had to sacrifice something because the margins just aren't there. So what we sacrificed, you know, this Andrew is admin, like, and then so we break some other part of the system, which is like now patients don't get this beautiful welcome and most people's admin team are amazing and they're all over stuff at the clinic. So we don't have that. It speaks to probably the health of the system that we have to like break apart or take apart out to satisfy the other areas of the equation. Um, and then coming back to KPIs, we've just, I think pairing it is important. This concept of pairing, we went really deep on like, we want to try co-consulting. So this is the first year we've had all our therapists co-consulting each other because you can do as many case reviews as you like, but if that person wasn't in the room, you're never going to really be able to give great advice for what actually happened. Um, so we have co-consulting. We have clinical calls with our titled physio. Um, we have an all-in CPD 
and I'll do like a case review, a loom case review where I'll go through, look, I wasn't in the room, but looking at what you've got in the notes, this is what I'd be looking for session three, four, five. This is what I'd be kind of prescribing through session six, seven, and eight. And then I found if you do all those things well and you really care about your team and the patients and the outcomes and you talk more clinically, it kind of softens the numbers part of it. Some business owners who get introduced to clinic mastery will just talk about numbers. And if you're just talking about numbers and you're not doing any clinical case reviews, that's not going to end well for any health professional, I don't think. I think that was really, really valuable information. You know, a classic one you hear is uh, young practitioners going, oh, I, I, don't, I don't feel like I'm getting paid what I'm worth. Um, going back a, a while about what you guys said, um, but they don't take into account, well, the first nine months, you weren't making the business any money. Um, we were investing time, mentoring, and um, uh, CPD budget and, and admin to, to try and fill your caseload. Um, and as a new graduate, uh, it's it's half likely that the, the job you were doing was not the same level as some of our practitioners who were three, five, longer years out uh, yeah. and providing that value. So the value you're providing across the entire year is not reflective of uh, someone who will be getting paid more. Mm. Um, and when you, when you break down, and I know Andrew does this uh, with our uh, new staff who come in and, and breaks down all the percentages of where all business revenue goes to, uh, mm. and then it spurts out a, a little number at the bottom in terms of a percent that actually goes towards profit. Um, you're right; it's not a very, it's not a very big number. Um, so, yeah. if everyone was to to add, you know, twenty, thirty grand to what they're they're paying, then the business would be losing money, even if everyone was busy. Um, I think somewhere somewhere along the lines, from some pages, there's a feeling that like. And this is where the nuance is missing, that like if your business owner is talking about numbers, they're a capitalist and they just want to make money. And that just misses all of the nuance of everything you guys just said. And I, I have not met a business owner to this day that thinks that way. They're all thinking about like, how do we provide a better environment for our team? How do we add an admin team member? How do we pay our teams more? How do we do all this and balance it all out? And you can have that thought in your mind and still say how do we provide the best evidence-based healthcare like those things are not separate um so that's it, it, it's tricky yeah so you know show some love so show some love to the business owners i saw one the other day that was like goal setting is a form of coercion uh it can it can be your employers trying to help you do a thing that um is like in their best interests and i'm like that's probably just taking the view that I would say you have a lens that business owners are not there to help or do anything good in healthcare. You have a view that business owners are there to make money solely. Um, again, because I've never met a business owner who said, I'm going to do goal setting so I can make my team members do what I want. <laughs> like it's a pretty, even just saying it sounds like, I don't know, there might be, there might be some. Um but that's the nuance online. Probably goes back to the nuance online. Yeah, I, I imagine for for both of you, the amount of years before it was, or Mick, for you, it's like, hey, we'd love our team to be able to make this much and work this many days. And Andrew, for 
the team to have this culture and have this CBD budget and this kind of mentoring support. It was survival first, um, which, you know, that that's kind of the, the first start of business is survive. And, yeah. you know, I imagine for a lot of business owners that may communicate across to the team as like, we need to see more people <laughs> because we need to survive. Um, yeah. It's a, it's kind of a livelihood kind of thing rather than a, um, a gross money kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And, and leaders just like therapists and business owners really need to upskill their communication. I would say this is another challenge because, because there isn't a lot of margin, a lot of clinic owners are still treating, which is great. Um, my goal is not to get clinic owners not treating. But what that speaks to is if you're treating two or three days a week to help keep that profit margin up, you probably can't spend four or five days a week sharpening your communication, sharpening your leadership. And then you're stressed. You're a little bit stressed. You want to keep everyone in the team together. Um, patients are coming a little bit less. And then how that comes out of your mouth is we need to see more patients. And so that's there's a part of that that also just takes time and leaders can improve on. Like how do we actually communicate the numbers? And that's where I, Andrew might agree with this, but the first time you learn about numbers as a leader, you probably come across a little strong. Like I've learned about this thing called PVA. We all need to be above eight. Yeah, um, yeah right. And then, then I'm like... Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we've, yeah, we've learned we've learned how to soften that, and leaders are working on that too, I guess. Absolutely, I think that's some really, really valuable information for for people kind of across the the healthcare spectrum, whether they are still at uni as a new grad or moving into a position of leadership or business ownership. But um, it's 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 a lot more complicated than I see these people, and and I want to get paid this. Uh, it's like there's a lot that goes into it, you guys. Yeah, there, there is, and and I think if if people are feeling that way, that's worth the conversation. Mm-hmm. I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't like for that to be you know held in and, and resentment build based mm-hmm. on that. I think there is context, and and to Mick's point, I think what we learn as we you know transition from a practitioner to a mentor to a business owner is mm-hmm. that. You know, we're, we're not perfect and we are learning all the time and um if it's if it's because you know you you want to understand a little bit more like have a conversation with us about that um because that way it gives us the opportunity to explain that context and also explain like what needs to happen in order for you to like grow and learn and and earn what you want to earn over a period of time, which I think is the value of a is a desire statement. Is it can tie into what is a like what direction do you want your career to go in? Like what what is balance for you? Um, and how can we create a a work balance that is is sensitive to that? Um, I think sitting down and thinking clearly about what you want out of your career and out of your life is, is a very valuable exercise mm. to do. And, and as a business owner, to be involved in that process means that we can tailor what you experience at work to what is important to you. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Wow. So I think the, the takeaway there for me is, is ask the question of if I 
and if it's financial related, like uh, or numbers related, like hey, I'm I want to be making this. How can I get there, or what do I need to do to make that feasible for the business? And I guarantee that the person you ask will have an answer for that question, or will be able to work out an answer for you uh, by doing some numbers calculations. So it wouldn't be mm. difficult. Um, you might not like the answer, um, but they'll be able to come up with an answer for you. Mm. And then you have some clarity and then hopefully there's some uh, some more mutual understanding of what it looks like. Mm. I, I think on that, my learning is there's no perfect clinic. And I think it's well within the rights of people to try a few clinics because that's the other thing is you just don't know what's out there. Um and it's actually healthy. I find our best team members are team members that have actually been somewhere else and then come to us and they're really appreciative and full of gratitude. And sometimes the team members that have that have only started with you and maybe been with you for seven years, they don't really know any different. Um, we've had two team members leave. They were new grads with us. They've been with us for four or five years. They left and then they came back. And that provided enormous insight into what we were doing well and what we weren't doing well. Um, but there's no, just on that point, there's no perfect practice. You will find something. Because um, like I said, we might have a great model the way I've described it, but we had to pull out our admin and there's there's imperfections in that. Um, there might be a clinic where you can earn 120K if that's your goal, but they're probably billing something you're uncomfortable with or seeing a really high amount of clients. Or there might be this perfect clinic that they've got the best CPD you know, we we do journals together, we do hands-on together, we go away together, um, we've got the best tech, but their margins are probably lower, so you probably get paid less. And so there, there is no perfect clinic. And so when I see posts that are really critical of clinics and suggestions that like, maybe you should leave, I'm like, I don't, like that's missing the nuance, but you could apply your values filter and say, oh, like I don't really care about admin, so that clinic would suit me. Or actually, I don't want to earn 100K. I'm actually happy on 80 and I'd be happy seeing 40 clients a week. Um, that could work, yeah. Very interesting. Andrew, any other topics you wanted to cover this evening? What do you think? Mick, any other topics you wanted to cover tonight? Because you, you've got a beer in you and you, um, you can rant as much as you like on this podcast. I go, I go, I, I'm just looking back at our talking points in the chat. Um, who's the APA and why, why are they scared of APs? <laughs> That's good. That's good. Well, we didn't touch on that. I, so I, I do feel, he's, just, he's gone, he's laughing. I, I do feel that um, scarcity comes into the system no matter what system, like we can all claim to be saints and perfect healthcare evidence-based health professionals, but at some point scarcity comes in the system because you're talking about your living. And then at some point you're talking about putting food on the table and you're talking about feeding your family. And so I think this is a bigger conversation. I, I do bet that there are physio clinics who aren't, who are doing it tough. And I, I reckon they're good humans. And I reckon that they're seeing EPCs be split 50-50 now. And this might tie the whole thing together, but it might come back to why the Valuing Skills Series exists. And so we we talk about context and nuance all the time as healthcare professionals. I'm sick of seeing those words, but we have to understand the human behind that reaction. 
maybe they're about to close their physio clinic and they've just seen their referrals drop 50% because, because GPs in their area are now referring to EPs. Is that good? Is that right? Is that fair? Who wins that war? Is it because one side has a better marketing message or a stronger marketing budget? Is it because one side's actually doing better healthcare? Um, so there's something in that. That's probably for a whole nother podcast, but I, it might just bring back to the original thing, which is I do sense a little bit of fear in the physio market with EPs taking market share. And that's the reality. Is almost like I think some physios feel like we have all that skill set, but there's a whole new player who has some of our skill set. And, and and when you guys were saying before, like it's really great and overlaps and many professionals within that have their own their own interests as well. Um, yeah, I think that might be part of the fear and the difference between physios and EPs at the moment. And I think EPs hold no fear. I think that's cool, right? Like being part of a new movement and a new profession with a strong identity that's not torn with pretty much like there isn't one modality that's silly to say because we all use so many modalities. Like I would say within communication, there's 10 modalities in communication. Um, but you can see how it's more unified than physio right now. So, yeah, I, I think there's a movement of real skepticism in physio within physio that's tearing physios apart a little bit between older and younger generations, hands on, hands off, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a little bit of fear. But then when I think about the context behind fear, it's like there's a human behind that who's worried about their business, about their patient numbers, about paying their mortgage. And then and then all of a sudden you start to go, oh, I could see how someone would write a message like that based in a fear. Absolutely. Um, so I, I see I see that. Go on. On the other side of the coin, you've got EPs, like you said, who have a huge level of confirmation bias anytime they read um, research and go, yes, exercise, very good. It's like we were right this whole time. Mm. And then so you just kind of get more more and more emotional and like you know we're right we're right we're right and then something uh comes out where it it takes the data peg and it becomes uh very emotional very emotional Hmm. yeah and i I see that and and it was interesting because the studies now showing like exercise doesn't work for pain as well as we thought it would and i'm like cool well the reality is like there have been a lot of eps kind of like throwing shade at manual therapy because it doesn't work but now there's this modality over here that is potentially tied to an identity Mm. that also doesn't work for pain but the truth is the truth is like really good therapists have been thinking this way for 10 15 20 25 years like back to like my first mentor who was like 50 years old when he was teaching me he was talking about these principles like I don't think manual therapy and exercise is the solution for pain. It's all this other stuff. He was talking about the BPS model before I think we had these really beautiful articulations of what the BPS model was. And and I think there's been really good physios doing this for a really long time. Maybe it just hasn't been articulated in this way. And there's been some really terrible physios doing it that way for a long time. Um, It's so hard for people to articulate and research like, well, what is the thing that is actually working? That's mm. like, well, now we're getting to a point where it's like, okay, so maybe it wasn't the manual therapy. Well, maybe it wasn't the glute bridges you were doing. It's like, maybe it's just the, the people who are really good at working with individuals who yeah. are the ones who are getting the good results. But how are you work? How are you doing that in research? Like, how the fuck do you measure that in research? Where, yeah. like, 
who are the people who relate really, really well to the individual in front of them and give that person what they need. And it's like, that's, that is hard to measure. Uh, yeah. But that's probably the thing that is most effective at the end of the day. I'd uh, love to see an EQ study paired with client results and visits. And mm-hmm. I'd love to see a communication study paired with client results and visits. Like Vin Zhang, the master communicator who like, we've been getting our physios to go through Vin Zhang's course to improve their communication. I would bet my bottom dollar that if we studied people who did Vin Zhang's course, their clients would come more and have a stronger connection. But then the powers in in the in the beholder, right? So like, you could use that power for evil and over-service, which doesn't mean they'll get a better outcome, or you could use that power for good and actually help them get a good outcome. So then we'll have this profession called like exercise communicators and their whole whole identity will be based on communication. And then a study will come out that says communication doesn't really help for pain. And then, right. So it's like, yeah, it's never been that. But there has been a lot of shade thrown at manual therapy and physio. And because there's a lot of evidence in physio, I see a lot of videos of like, oh, this paper doesn't work. Like, I think that's part of that underlying tension. There's there's a big groundswell. And I, I do think it comes from EPs of like, hey, this profession's maybe not as good as they make out to be or you think, which is both true and untrue. There's people in that profession that are doing this really poor, poorly. And there's people in that profession that never claimed manual therapy was the fix. So um, that's a bit of the turf war online as well that I see. And that doesn't just happen one way. That also happens within physio, physio to EP, and then physio's done that to every other profession as well. Like physio has shit-canned osteo and Cairo for years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where it's like I'm, there's probably Cairo's in this area that I relate more to than other EPs in our area. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's just not really relevant a lot of the time about yeah. what university degree is. Um, it's all about the, the individual and how they how they work. I've been guilty of that too. And it it worries me a little bit. I, I, I think all of us should publish content. Like I really do think it's a healthy thing to do. Like I, I think it challenges you to know your stuff. And the more of us that are spreading positive messages, the better. So as a young clinician, when I was posting content, I would find this thing that said, oh, see, manipulations don't work. And then inadvertently, I would shit can the whole of Cairo profession, even though that was not my intention or my goal. I was excited that I found something and there was probably some professional bias, um, but I have this paper I can hold on to. And if you're a Cairo watching that, there's no way you're not going to take offense. Like, who's this young guy with the journal of chiropractic behind him basically saying that doesn't work. And if you do that enough times, people start to, it's, I I don't think we can say, oh, just untie your professional identity to who you are as a person. If you've spent three years online talking about one professional manual therapy, people out there are going to interpret that as something else. Just like people have interpreted this value skill series. People have made insinuations and made interpretations based on it rather than knowing the true intention. We can only make assumptions. Um, but I did that. And like, I don't think it was the right play. Like when I look back, I really regret the Cairo videos and the Cairo shaming stuff that I did. Absolutely. Mm. Oh. Oh. 
I feel like just go, just like go on. Yeah, Mick, you probably missed family dinner by this. <laughs> I've missed family dinner. I've missed oh. Amali's bedtime. Oh dear. Um, yeah. Wild. The important thing is is that we've probably done three parts. Uh, yes. Which is what's which is what's really fun. So welcome to the end of part three. If yes. You, <laughs> if you're still here. Well done. In in January. Twenty twenty six. Yeah. This was recorded in November. If you wanted to know. Yeah. <laughs> Crypto's had another cycle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nick, Nick, if people are gonna follow you, they like what you hear. Uh, they like what you're saying. And they want to hear more of you. Where where would you recommend they find you? Uh, for really good evidence based content, the Physio Network podcast is awesome because I interview the best guests. Um, the iMovie Facebook group is where we have a lot of discussions, and there's like seven years of videos. You can type in pay rebooking EP versus physio, and all these videos will pop up. Um, and then I'm trying to be less boomer and build my Instagram, which is that dot physio guy. That physio guy. There you go. Yeah. Can confirm. Yeah. Which is what some, I came up with that name because someone just walked up to me and he said, you're that physio guy. Like, oh, oh, yeah, I am. Like, Thanks. Which also gives you some deniability. It's like, oh, it's not me. <laughs> That's not me. Don't take photos. <laughs> He's just using a deep fake. It's not me. Yeah, exactly. Lovely. Thanks, gents. Well, thank you, Mick. Thank Thanks you, for coming Mick. on, mate. Maybe we'll do a part four, five, and six. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome chat. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. See you later, everyone. Very enjoyable indeed. Thank you, everyone, for listening to part one, two, and three of the Mick Risk podcast. If you didn't listen to the first two parts, go back and listen to them, please. They're very, very good. Cover lots of good topics. Coming up in the next couple of weeks, uh, we have Sarah Woodroff, uh, uh, the owner of Simply Stronger down in Melbourne, who's coming on to talk to us over another couple of parts that's some really interesting topics around EP. So please come back for those. The pants chat may even come back. See you later.